Thanks for listening to The Derivative. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. So... Let's say you think that um, the fix uh, or the realized volatility or um, let's say GDP growth might be useful uh, variable uh, to predict uh, whether the market is going to go up or down tomorrow. Uh, well, uh, if you just apply linear regression, you will find that the signal is very weak because it doesn't take into account the fact that some of these variable might be conditioned on each other. It could be that, you know, uh, only in a low volatility regime uh, does the stock market depend on GDP growth. Whereas on a high volatility regime, uh, there's no such a dependence. If you apply linear regression to this variable, you will find it's just a wash. You cannot find any signal. But if you apply random forest to it, it will tease out this kind of dependence of you know, under different regime, under different conditions, these variables would work. And different under other different conditions, some other group of variables will work. So it has this kind of a hierarchical structure. You pick the most important variable first, and then conditioning on that variable, look for another variable uh, that is maybe less important, uh, but combined, they can generate a much stronger prediction than if you just treat them on the equal footing. All right. Hello, everybody. For those watching on YouTube, you'll see I'm coming to you from a different uh, work from home locale today. Turns out I tested positive for COVID this weekend. So the family has quarantined me to the basement. Uh, but the show must go on. And despite the COVID fog I'm in, we're going to try and dig deep into the nitty gritty of AI and machine learning with a star in the space, Dr. Ernest P. Chan. Uh, Ernie, as we call him, writes the popular quantitative trading blog, authored three books on quant trading and machine learning founded predictnow.ai and runs managed accounts in a fund through his asset management firm, QTS Capital Management. So welcome, Ernie. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jeff. Yeah. Um, we were just talking, so you're in the Niagara Falls area of Ontario. Most That's all, every finance person I've ever met from uh, Ontario is in Toronto. So you're a little out of, little out of the city. That's because I was never part of the um, the financial community in Toronto. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah started my career in New York, and uh, you know since I after I moved back to Canada, I had uh, no particular reason uh, to stay in Toronto because I I really never worked there. Right, and were you a Canadian citizen? What's your background? Yes, I'm Canadian. I uh, I uh, uh, I was originally from Hong Kong, but I my family moved to Canada before I was in college. So I went to uh, U of 
U of T, uh, U of Toronto for my yeah. undergraduate. And then I went to Cornell for my graduate school. And then since then I have, you know, every, almost every job I got was in the New York area uh, until I decided to uh, do my own thing and move back to Canada. Got it. And now what? Are, we, are Americans allowed back in there yet or what? It's a very interesting situation. Um, if you uh, fly, you can do that any day. You, you know, air traffic is allowed, but you cannot drive uh, or take the train across oh. the border. Or walk. When I took the kids to Niagara Falls, you do the walk over the, uh, is it called the Rainbow Bridge? Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah I think you they can you walk, can into walk into the, across <laughs> countries, which is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's probably shut down now with the COVID anyway. And for sure, they don't want me coming in. Uh, um, well, we so, have enough cases on our own. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> The um, and so Ali was telling me we might be joined by a special guest today, Coco. Yes, I wonder where uh, where she is. I what, think she's what, hiding. What is she? <laughs> cat? She's a uh, yes, a ragdoll, a cat. Uh, it, it looks like a ragdoll. It's called ragdoll because it's uh, when you hold them in your arm, uh, they just go limb. They're very relaxed. <laughs> All right, I want to <laughs> see that. Get them over there, something. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump into your background, a uh, bunch of those big New York shops. So give us a quick rundown of how you got to where you are at QTS with all those big names in your bio. Okay. Um, so I, uh, you know, probably a couple of years into my PhD, uh, in physics, I knew that I was not cut out to be a physicist, uh, academically. So I, um, actually worked hard to, uh, find applications for physics. And I found that at the IBM Human Language Technologies Group, uh, that's where I joined after my uh, PhD. So uh, that group has produced some uh, very uh, famous uh, fund managers, uh, some of whom you might see in Wall Street Journal, such as Bob Mercer and uh, Peter Brown of uh, Renaissance Technologies. They, they co-ran Renaissance for the last probably decade um, until recently. Um, and, uh, so Did I Simon had pulled them out of there. Like I'm he sorry? hired this, they kind of took up the reign for Jim Simons. That is correct. That's correct. Yes. Um, so after a few very enjoyable years at IBM, uh, in Yorktown Heights, I also decided to, uh, get into finance because not because I had particular love for finance at that time. Uh, but because I love New York City, so I, I can't stand a one and a half hour commute from New York, reverse commute from New York to uh, Yorktown. So I uh, joined data, uh, joined the uh, new uh, data mining and artificial intelligence group at Morgan Stanley, which, uh, um, you know, it, that was in the mid uh, 1990s. But, uh, you know, already all the investment banks are heavily invested in AI technologies to not just to uh, trade, uh, not to just to investment management or trading, but also to um, various other aspects of their, uh, of their business, sales, marketing, operations, customer relationships, whatever. Fraud, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes, fraud is a big thing too. Uh, although when I joined out, Morrison, it was uh, purely an um, investment bank. They did not acquire any retail business yet so yeah, yeah. to them was not a, a major concern at that time <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, 
so um, after a short while there, my team, or well, half of my team decided they want to trade themselves. They don't want to consult for other business units. So we went over to Credit Suisse and started a pop trading group. It did not went well uh, because actually I have not found AI to work in finance for the longest time since I arrived in Monsanto. Not, not, not in fraud detection or other credit, uh, you know, other things, yeah. but in trading the market. It's and by your team, it, at Morgan Stanley, you were trying to develop actual models, quantitative models? Yes. Yes, part of our job was to develop quantitative trading model using AI, and we continue that in Credit Suisse. And as as I said, it did not went well. And did give me an well. example. Give me a simplistic example of something that the AI spit out that you guys were trying to train. Right. So the AI uh, typically uh, learn complicated things from a time series. You know, we we apply it, for example, to, uh, you know, the global futures market, you know, 55, 60 different futures. And we try to apply the same model uh, to trade, you know, to to find trading rules uh, to to trade all these futures using the same model. Uh, And the input would be, you know, nothing particularly fancy, uh, different kind of technical indicators, but of course, engineer into uh, with various uh, fancy mathematical functions. Um, and, you know, it, inevitably, the back test looks fantastic. And inevitably, when you live trade it, it had, a, you know, the, the day you live trade would be the high watermark of the model. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and we now know why that is the case. Uh, it, you know, as uh, some of the industry giants, such as, uh, you know, Dr. Lopez Prado has uh, written many times in the book. Uh, there are many, you know, many reasons why machine learning uh, is very difficult to apply to finance, and uh, one of which uh, is the data snooping bias. Um, and uh, you know, it's simply that there's not enough data for a uh, uh, naive application of, uh, of machine learning. So we did not find a lot of success. Uh, and you know, after trying to uh, uh, apply machine learning to finance for uh, you know, during my uh, my stay in New York, uh, I grew frustrated, and I therefore I, I that's why I left the industry and decided to trade on my own in 2006 and completely abandoned machine learning at that time. Really? Just start from the basics, right? Um, and uh, and lo and behold, simple and basic strategy worked, whereas complicated machine learning models did not. So that's how I started my investment management career after a few years that I had successfully applied to my own account. I started to manage some um, external investor account, started a fund in 2008. That was an auspicious year to start a fund because we actually did very well. Uh, My strategy had a strange um, pension to to do well when there's a crisis. So it has always been, almost always, except one situation, except one year, it was always the case that it did particularly well in crisis. So um, that um, so you know ever since uh, you know I I, I uh, started to manage my own money and started to manage my own uh, investors' money, we had used fairly simple uh, strategies, um, and most of these strategies are not so dif- different from the ones I wrote about in my book. People say, "Wow, you know, uh, uh, you know, why did you, you know clearly the strategy you wrote in your book can't." can't work, right? Because who, who would write something that worked in a book yeah. so, so that everybody can, can read about it? But that's not the case because 
the basic um, kind of strategy that I trade are quite similar to the ones that I wrote about. It's just that, of course, I have bells and whistles, uh, little tweaks here and little tweaks there that make it better than the plain vanilla version uh, that you know everybody know about. But you know, pair trading is pair trading. Uh, the, the gist of pair trading is you know the the convergence of uh, of a spread, and that that no everybody knows. It's just that even today, I have no I know that many very successful prop trading firms are still using pair trading and very successfully. It's just that they have all these little tricks and maybe have better data, better execution. Um, they have maybe some other uh, variables that they, they monitor, which make it more successful than the plain vanilla version. So in any case, that has been what we uh, do for the last 10 years or so. Until recently, when we- and Real we quick, didn't you have a uh, stop at Millennium in there somewhere? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, during my you know, 10 plus years in New York, I did have a brief uh, stop at the Millennium. So, um, you know, one of my colleagues at Credit Suisse, uh, the group that uh, was, uh, you know, was, uh, uh, was not uh, particularly uh, successful in Credit yeah. Suisse, but one of the colleagues did become a portfolio manager at uh, Credit Suisse, and he asked me to join him. So I basically every job I got is because somebody else wanted me to join them. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I joined Millennium and in, in the, you know, I, we, we had a, you know, almost weekly chat with EC England. We, we, you know, I guess at that time Millennium was not huge. So easy yeah. to have time to meet with every portfolio manager and their underlings like myself. And, uh, but um, for, for reason that is beyond my understanding, he and uh, my boss had a, Kind of falling out, and so the group was eliminated within six weeks of my arrival. Oh, really? So it was a quick, quick. <laughs> but EC was was very kind. You know, I, I I got to give the credit to the man. He personally called my next employer because it doesn't look good on resume to, yeah. to see that you're dismissed after six weeks. People say, "What is, what's wrong with this guy?" And he he personally called my next employer and said, "Hey, no, Ernie is not a bad guy. He's just blah 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 blah." So I'm I'm quite grateful. For his graciousness. Nice. Could you did you know then that they'd be huge one day? Did you could you tell the structure? Oh, it was already pretty big at that time. And yeah. one thing I can tell is that every day you arrive at the lobby, okay. I mean their lobby is amazing because you have to use palm recognition. You 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 open the door by putting a palm on 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 the detector. Yeah. And you open the and door. What, this was 15 years ago? How many years? That is in at um let me think. Count the years, two thousand and um, just around two thousand three. Okay, so yeah, pretty far back for palm detectors. Yeah. Yes, that that at that time it was not common. Um, you know, now of course every cell phone has it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but the office is still at six 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 Fifth Avenue. It's the famous uh, address. Um, and uh, well, when you open the door after you you put your palm to it. Uh, you will be greeted with a strong uh, smell of um, lilies. So every day they have this huge bunch of lilies sitting in the reception room. Just by that, you know that these guys are successful. They, they never forget to fill the lobby with fresh lilies. <laughs> <laughs> no bad, they must never have a bad day. Yeah. That, that's right. Um, so no, I think they were already very successful at that time. They were you know, hiding all kinds of setup groups. Uh, and uh, 
and uh, you know, and, and and everybody was huddled in their own little corner, generating this and that, and and it's amazing, you know, they they have perfected working from home even at that time. My boss came into the office uh, once a month, or well, actually, at, when I was there, he came in once a week. But I heard that when I wasn't there before before I arrived, it was once a month just to meet with Easy. So um, everybody just work from home, and uh, you know, not everybody, but at least a lot of people. And all the trades are just executed autom automatically from the from the servers. So it's uh, it's a highly uh, um, you know it's really a technology firm more than a trading firm. You know you don't yeah. hear the bus on the trading floor. It's very quiet. The floor is everybody's whispering. You don't hear a trader yelling across the desk. And that's just the way I like it because everybody's <laughs> a quantitative. Nobody get emotional here, you know. You, you, yeah, you, you wouldn't know. have liked the trading floor. Was the exact opposite. That's the, right. That's the right. board of trade in Chicago was big guys <laughs> yelling and screaming and punching each other. Yes, um, yes. Not a yes. lot of time or uh, quiet for peaceful thought. That's right. Yes, it, which is uh, surprising because I understand that EC came from a um, uh, market maker or um, you know on the on on the floor, um, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, he he's uh, probably uh, used to this kind of uh, noisy uh, high, hyper uh, environment, but the firm that he founded is like quiet to right. to to you know like a university library. So right. So I hijacked you a bit there. Sorry. So you you abandoned your AI, your machine learning. You went back to simple models. Yes, oh. and found some success until uh, last year when we observed that a lot of our models are gradually losing alpha, and that is because. If you look around, you know, it's like every university now has a quant finance program. You know, it's yeah. like every uh, STEM students have thought about uh, applying it to trading. So the, all the simple strategies and, you know, small part of which is because of my book's popularization, uh, every uh, simple strategy has been exploited by hundreds, of, if not thousands of people. So they are kind of, they're slowly suffering after decay. And so... You know, and as I said, we do apply tweaks, bells and whistles, but even the bells and whistles are becoming quite obvious. You know, how many bells and whistles can you add to a strategy? Not, you know, if you do it manually, uh, you know, the obvious bells and whistles is something that many smart people can, can, can guess at. So even those are losing their potency. So what, so finally I, got, I, went, I, I came full circle. I rediscovered uh, my interest in machine learning. I, I started to read up on it again to, to bring me up to date because there are huge strides in machine learning that were being done in my 10 years of absence from the field. Uh, things yeah. like dropout technique, deep learning, you know, they are all new. So I brought, me, brought, brought myself up to date and then apply it to our current trading strategies in a, using a method called uh, meta labeling, which is, essentially applying machine learning to your basic strategy to learn from your own strategy to see when it would not do well. And we found some success to it. We were, I'm constantly surprised actually by, um, you know, before I was constantly disappointed with machine learning. Every, you know, every time it's like you start trading, it's a, a start to draw down. But now I'm constantly pleasantly surprised by machine learning because it, it seems to be so present. Uh, I, I remember, you know, two examples uh, stood out in my mind. One is the um, the period from November to January of this year. The machine learning model tells us that there's no terrorists in the market. Stop trading. We didn't 
send a single trade to the market. And our investors thought that we have fallen asleep, frankly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we said, no. Were you out of the country? Did you go on vacation? Uh, no. Um, well, actually, I, I did go to New York to enjoy a nice <laughs> Christmas there. But, uh, you know, but, but I, you know, the, the program is completely automated. So even yeah, yeah, if yeah. I were not there, I should trade. Uh, but it says, hey, the economy is great. Everything's great it, from November to January. There's no risk. Why bother to have tail, uh, tail hedge anything? Uh, and then suddenly on February 1st, it started to tell us to hedge tail risk. Uh, at that time, there was nobody, at least publicly, nobody thought that the virus would affect the economy, nor the stock market. But the machine learning program monitoring 150 plus variable at that time, now it's more. Um, basically, every month we add more variable, but at that time it's about 150. They detected some risk somewhere maybe faint signals, but because they are looking at so many variables and they kind of, uh, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You yeah. know, it's sort of aggregate all these faint signals from around the world, they detected as tail risk and they start to ask us to tail hedge and allow us to capture maybe around 80% growth uh, of uh, uh, return in those two months. So that was one surprise that it know how to turn off and it knows how to turn on just two weeks before the market hit all time high and then came a huge drawdown from there. And then I, I read your blog post on that back from August or whatnot. And it made me think back when I was designing models and you'd go through these bad periods and you'd be like, you know what, this doesn't work when there's declining true range in the evening yes. or whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna filter that out. Oh and it doesn't work when there's this. So all you're basically doing is saying, hey, I'm, let the machine figure out what those periods That's are. right. That's right. Yeah. I did the same thing as you did uh, before, uh, which is, you know, hey, you know, let's filter it through the fix. Let's filter it through the, you know, uh, realized volatility, whatever, gold price. But, you know, soon enough, you're going to get yourself 150 variables. You know, which one, how do you weight them? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, um, and so that's machine learning is pretty much the only practical approach when you get too many of these variables that you need to uh, incorporate. Can we go backwards a step now and kind of explain the basics of machine learning for some of the listeners? So how do you, how do you approach that problem of I've got 150 variables and I want to, I want to see what works. Yes. So, um, you know, actually a lot of people, maybe they didn't know about it, but they have probably experienced or used machine learning in college. They may not know it, that it's called machine learning. And the simplest machine learning is called linear regression, right? Yeah. So in a linear regression, let's say any economic student probably have used it. Yeah, or uh, oh, statistics you know, how, class or whatnot. Yeah, how do you predict the change in GDP? Oh, you know, the, the unemployment rate and the whatever consumption and whatever. So, you know, that the basic machine learning is simply uh, fitting a straight line uh, through, a, a, not a, well, a, a, a plane through multiple variables, right, to, to predict the, the dependent variable. Yeah. And machine learning is simply a more complicated version of that. But the key difference of machine learning, such as random forest, let's be concrete. There are so many machine learning algorithms, but let's say random forest is typically the, the the good old standby for for machine uh, for financial machine learning. Okay. Uh, for, for for random forest, uh, it is it introduced an element of um, 
nonlinearity and also of conditional dependence on this variable. So instead of treating all this input on the same footing, they would hierarchically or iteratively pick the most important variable first. So let's say you think that um, the fix uh, or the realized volatility or um, let's say GDP growth might be useful uh, variable uh, to predict uh, whether the market is going to go up or down tomorrow. Uh, well, uh, if you just apply linear regression, you will find that the signal is very weak because it doesn't take into account the fact that some of these variables might be conditioned on each other. It could be that, you know, uh, only in a low volatility regime uh, does the stock market depend on GDP growth. Whereas on a high volatility regime, uh, there's no such a dependence. If you apply linear regression to this variable, you will find it's just a wash. You cannot find any signal. But if you apply random forest to it, it will tease out this kind of dependence of, you know, under different regime, under different conditions, these variables would work. And different, under other different conditions, some other group of variables will work. So it has this kind of a hierarchical structure. You pick the most important variable first and then conditioning on that variable, look for another variable uh, that is maybe less important, uh, but combined, they can generate a much stronger prediction than if you just treat them on the equal footing. So that's- And the random forest wording comes from like a decision tree, right? Like the, the yes. base case is decision tree. And then a random forest is the many iterations later. How do you yes. tie so, those two together for me? It, that's exactly true. Um, decision tree, everybody kind of know, even if you're not in the, uh, you know, uh, machine learning, you can kind yeah. of understand what a decision tree is. Um, did I, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, if the, if the market this, opens higher today, then yeah, buy. Exactly. Right? exactly. The, the, the key insight that machine learners have found in the last 10 years is that if you just build one decision tree, it is very prone to uh, overfitting. Um, so they deliberately generate randomness in the data by, by uh, a, a technique called um, resampling with, repla with replacement. So that they randomize the training data using the same set of data, but sometimes you sample some data point more than once in order to create some variation. And because of this randomness, the tree that was built on this resample data will be slightly different. So you would generate, let's say 100 trees using the same data set that are resampled. And so these 100 trees all have slight differences. Uh, and you take the sort of the average prediction of these 100 trees. And that average is much more robust yeah. to noise and to, um, uh, to coincidences than just building one tree. Because if you just build one tree, you are very much uh, learning only from the particular, uh, you know, the, the particular fluctuation of that data. You are not learning sort of from the, the average of that data. So that kind of technique is, is now prevalent in machine learning. Uh, and, and it seems like, uh, overcome overcome. like classic, algorithmic trend followers and managed futures people came to that conclusion more than 10 years ago, but without machine learning, without this construct, but they were saying, hey, instead of one model, let's have five models. Instead of one parameter, let's have 10 parameters. 
and basically do an ensemble of the signal so that the signal itself is stronger than just, you know, relying on, oh, it didn't tick that high today. I'm not going to get that trade. But I got the average of all those trades over four days. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ensemble approach. Uh, you can call it diversification, right? So, yeah. you know, you, many, everybody know that if you just trade one stock, you are very much in danger of, you know, it's almost like buying a lottery. But if you have a portfolio stock, you buy 100 stock. Uh, and if you're stock picking strategy is good, uh, you are, you know, greatly reduced your chance of uh, big drawdown. If even, you know, it's unlikely that your all your 100 bets are wrong. So, right. so that's the same principle indeed uh, in going from a decision tree to random forest. And, and the random forest is giving a probabilistic. So it's assigning a probability to each outcome or is it giving an actual outcome? Yeah, so there are two kinds of um, random forest. One is a classification, the other is regression. So in regression random forest or regression dis, uh, decision tree, uh, you would produce an expected return with some error bars. So you can say, oh, what's the, what's the expected return for a spider tomorrow? Uh, and you get, oh, 0.3% plus or minus 0.5, right? <laughs> uh, that's, um, and, and the other kind is classification tree that will give you whether, okay, is the market go up or down? So it's discrete prediction, up or down. And then for each up or down prediction, it will have a probability. So you say, well, it's going to be up with a 0.52 probability. And of course, down with a 0.48 probability. So that's the two, two kinds of uh, trees. I, most people, including myself, mo most machine learners prefer the classification tree in finance. Um, and that is because um, it is found that if you, are, you actually want to predict the exact magnitude of the return, most often it will, well, obviously you don't expect the market to go up exactly 0.32 uh, you know, percent, even if the expected return is 0.32. Nobody expects it. It has a big IR yeah. bar, first of all. But the other problem is that oftentimes it will also get the sign more wrong than not. Right. So even, you know, you, you're trying to predict the magnitude and it often get the sign wrong. Not only the magnitude, of course, is wrong, but the sign is also wrong. So, so you miss it twice. Not, yeah. Yes. So it's a bad miss. Not that great. Yes. Yeah. So we prefer classification tree. But there are some applications where regression are important. And actually, we are writing a paper on that application. Uh, it's a, quite a intriguing. I, I, I think that application will be useful for many traders, um, you know, even if they're not eager to use machine learning, this application will nudge them towards machine learning. It, it's just quite interesting. Uh, but for that application, um, it has to do with parameter optimization. Uh, that application, you do have to use regression tree. But for meta labeling, you know, just for straightforward to assign probability to whether it's going to go up or down, or if, whether your trade will be profitable or losing, uh, a classification tree is typically more useful. And would you, um, I'll just go into this and then we'll come back to something else. But would you say your breakthrough was figuring out, hey, I'm just going to run it on my own model that's designed outside of the machine learning versus are other people just trying to have a model that's based solely on machine learning of whether the market's going to go up or down tomorrow? Yes, yes, that definitely. I, I, I definitely think that uh, that's, that's really um, uh the first time we tasted success in 
in applying machine learning finances when you already have a successful model uh, uh, that is based on fairly straightforward trading rules and you apply machine learning to learn when it's not favorable to run that model. Right. I mean, this technical method labeling certainly is not invented by us. Again, it's, invent it's written about uh, by, uh, you know, Lopatri Prado and probably exists even before he wrote that book. It just wasn't given perhaps a name. Uh, but, you know, a lot of machine learners or in finance or otherwise have used it. But, um, uh, but since, uh, you know, Dr. Lopez Prado popularized it in his book, um, more people use it and we definitely learn from it. And we found it to be, uh, you know, uh, quite practical. And now take us from everything we just said about machine learning and tie it into AI. So are they one and the same thing in this regard? Or does AI get used improperly in that regard? What are your thoughts there? Uh, you know, in, in, in the old days, uh, there's a distinction between AI and machine learning. So uh, in the old days, uh, AI tend to mean expert systems where uh, people handcraft some rules. Uh, and, uh, you know, like a chess game, they program 1,000 different moves when to, to play a chess game. And they call that artificial intelligence. But that's really not artificial intelligence because the human intelligence just encoded in a program. It's not quite artificial, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's more now automation, right? I'm sorry? I'd say it's more automation than exactly. intelligence. Yeah. Nowadays, we, people would just say that um, it's programming. It's not artificial. Right. It's, not, yeah. it's not machine learning. It's just, just coding everything, hard coding rules, right? Uh, so nowadays, there's not much, no, few people do that anymore. No, nobody uses expert system anymore. So everything is probabilistic, is real, real learning, no hardcore, not hard, no hardwired rules. And uh, so now the distinction between AI and machine learning are basically zero. Zero. Okay. So they're one and the same for all practical purposes. That's right. Um, so then it comes down to supervised versus unsupervised learning, right? Yes. I think what most people might consider more pure AI would be unsupervised learning where the machine's just running through and figuring out things on its own? Uh, yes. Well, um, yes, supervised learning has uh, a lot of, uh, yeah, un unsupervised learning has some usages. For example, um, uh, clustering. You know, for example, you, you say, okay, uh, I want to know uh, what are the, um, you know, identify some market regimes out there. Uh, and how do I identify? I want to look at the volatility of the market, whether it's a bullish or bearish market, or uh, whether the interest rate was going up or down and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. you know, whether the dollar is going up or down and so forth. So you have a whole bunch of variables, maybe five, 10 variables. and you know, for each day in the market, you have this 10 variable with different values and you want to cluster the market into, let's say, oh, three different regimes automatically. Now, you, you as a human, I say, I, I don't know how to define a regime. Maybe, you, you know, you, you don't want to define it. Uh, I just want to use these five variables and have the machine automatically find these uh, three, three regimes. And you turn a clustering algorithm loose on this data with these five variables and lo and behold, it will find uh, three, three regimes. Some days belong to regime one, some days belong to regime two, and some days belong to regime three. And then you have to scratch your head and say, okay, what does it mean? You know, what does this first regime mean? Oh, this first regime 
typically has low volatility, where the dollar is uh, down or where the interest rate are decreasing. You know, maybe you can make do some interpretation, but that's not a priori. You don't know that ahead of time. It's just the machine happened to pick this regime that you after, after the fact interpret it as being a low volatility, calm right. regime. And maybe the second regime is in inflationary. Oh, interest rate going up, market goes down because of uh, inflation and gold price going up and what whatever. And you can interpret that as the inflation regime. And maybe there's a third regime where you have a, a slow economic growth. It's beautiful. Everything, stock market go up, inflation is non, non-existent, interest rate is steady. And so you get this third regime. So that's the a particular use of unsupervised uh, learning because you you as a human, I, I you know you don't tell the machine ahead of time what regimes you are going to find. You only can interpret this regime after they have they are found. And that's of use when you right when you want to find something that is, doesn't fit into your brain or the human brain. And that that is right. go out and find some relationships that I can't see. Exactly. Exactly. And one common technique that has been used in classical finance call, uh, is called um, principal component analysis. Yeah. A that's... lot of people use that. Uh, and that is a, a form of unsupervised learning because it will find sort of market factors. Instead of saying, oh, um, in the market, there's the market factor, there is the, um, uh, the, the value factor, and then there is the momentum factor, and then there's the, the, uh, the winner minus loser factor, you know, well, that's the momentum factor uh, or the size factor. You know, yeah. th- those are human determined factor, right? You you think that size is important to determine the stock um, valuation. You think that um, um, the the book to price ratio is important, but you know, wh- who is to say you're right? Okay, you, you you think that way, and then you find evidence to support your view. That's supervised, but unsupervised would be like principal component analysis you just compute a covariance matrix and the machine will find these factors, some of which may resemble the value factor. What another factor might resemble the momentum factor, but you would never know ahead of time. You, it's not easy to interpret some of these factors, except the first factor, of course, it's always going to be the market factor. There's no question about it. You know, all the stock, will, most stock will go up when the S&P go up. So that factor is universal. That's easy to interpret. But after the fir- first factor, what's the second most important principal component is usually a little bit hard to determine. Is that yeah. the value factor? Is that the momentum factor? Well, it's maybe a mix of both. Who knows? Well, so it's that's, dynamic. that's, that's also unsupervised. So let's switch gears a little bit and tell us about what you're doing with um, predictive.ai or did I mess up the name? Predictnow.ai. Predictnow.ai. So tell us what you're doing there, tying some of this into it. Yes. So, um, you know, we, as I said, we had found some success in applying machine learning in a particular way uh, to finance. Um, Now, we run a tailhead strategy. It's a niche strategy. The AUM cannot go big. It's not a strategy that would make money every day. We, that's the first thing I tell clients. Do not expect us to make money most of the time. <laughs> expect <laughs> us to make you money once every two years. <laughs> so, um, And that is not a strategy that would be very attractive to a lot of um, um, clients. So we, we, we remain a small, small fund. 
right. uh, a strategy only a machine could love, right? I'm sorry? A strategy only a machine could love. That, that is right. You, you have to be practically a finance professor to appreciate why you should you know, one strategy, and most people are not finance professors. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we decided. Well, but we have this, uh, which we think is very powerful technology uh, that uh, that can improve anybody's strategy. You know, it doesn't. It's it's not a, a system that only improves our own strategy, but it can be applied to anybody's strategy. And why not roll it out as a separate product? And we are not the first one, not, we are by no means the first hedge fund to think that we can monetize our own technology and roll yeah. it out to other people. There are multiple hedge funds that do that. <laughs> people ask us, why are you doing that? They say, hey, look at this other fund. <laughs> and um, uh, so that's the idea behind finding predictnow.ai is that we want to um, launch a technology platform where other funds and other professional investors can benefit from machine learning as a risk management tool, as a capital allocation tool. And I don't want to say that as a signal generation tool, because I still firmly believe that signal generation should be by simple strategies, by the in human intelligence rather than machine intelligence. Otherwise, the scope for overfitting is fast. But machine learning can definitely help in risk management and can help in capital allocation, what we can generally call pre-trade analytics. So we want to offer this pre-trade analytics platform to other professional investors. Um, and, and that's the reason. And the, the concept is they can load in their uh, daily trade PL or something. Yes. And, it, and then run through different, uh, take it from there. So if I load in my trade PL, what happens? It'll well, identify have, factors or I have to also identify the factors. You have to, there are two ways. Um, uh, certainly, you know, you, you know best what kind of factor you suspect might affect your strategy profitability. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly upload it and you don't have to tell us what those factors are. You can name them F1, F2, F3 or F150. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you run it through our system and we will tell you if those factors are predictive of your strategies outcome. Now, many traders have a hard time coming up with all these factors. We will help them. So part of our professional service team will help suggest other factors to them. You know, we only need to know, oh, you're trading uh, Forex. Have you looked at this, 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 and other factors? Have you looked at interest rate? Have you looked at bond uh, yields and so on and so forth? And we can suggest them and we can help engineer these extra factors for them. So that's the current, you know, we, we started this um, offering around April with only about 10 users. Um, so this is still in version one, but in the new year, in Q1, we expect to incorporate data in our platforms too. So traders don't have to scramble to find their own data. The first data set we're going to incorporate is uh, US fundamentals. Um, essentially, all the uh, all the financial statement data will be available for free to our users, so that they can incorporate. If they're trying to predict stock return, uh, they can use some features that are engineered from you know from earnings, from dividend, from whatever balance sheet item. You know, where wear your uh, CFA hat and 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 dig into their um, uh, financial statement and apply them to see if they can affect. Uh, uh, the profitability of your strategy. So that would be the first data set. And then we will incorporate high frequency features, things such as 
uh, features that basically you will only be able to obtain if you have a $10,000 subscription to the CME data feed. Yeah, yeah. Those will include like uh, aggressive flag and so forth. So microstructure features. Yeah. Uh, we will, we, we have, we are signing a deal with a high frequency data provider that will uh, allow us to offer that to our premium subscribers. So, so I think those will be fairly unique. Uh, it's not something that you will find uh, on any, any broker platform, for example. Yeah. I think you've talked with our Joe Signorelli and David Don, right? In our office about some of that microstructure stuff. Um, so cool. So there's 10 users or it's grown a little bit? It has grown. Um, we are now, uh, you know, approaching, I think, maybe 80. Uh, so okay. users over, over time. But as I said, we are still in the early days. We are still, um, we are creating an API. We just finished an API so that some traders who do not like the local service, you know, local service essentially means that you have to upload a spreadsheet every day. And some people like it, you know, if you are, uh, if you're not a programmer, and you are comfortable with Excel, that's how you can interact with our service. But if you are already running um, a automated strategy using some language, um, uh, using uh, Python or whatever programming yeah. language uh, that uh, you are running, uh, and you want to use our service as part of the pipeline of your automated process, we offer this API so that uh, your program can call our service and do the training and the prediction as part of the pre-trade analytics. And now, but it's only financial. So I can't put in like the football, who covered the spread in the football games and have it. It's interesting that you asked that because <laughs> it is in fact universal. So we have, um, we have um, a, a team member uh, in our company who is a, a sports fan. And the reason we hire him is that, you know, when we interview him is that, I had always wanted to use machine learning to bet on sports. And I say, sounds great. You're hired. <laughs> and so he's actually, he's actually uh, gathering sports statistics to apply machine learning to it. He's going to write a blog post when it's uh, successful and done. So yeah, nice. sports betting is it's not. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a league with some buddies and I keep losing where you have to pick, <laughs> you get 14 extra points, which seems so easy in the NFL, but every week someone loses by more than 14 points. Um, <laughs> so I'll hit them up on that. Yep. Now take us into QTS. So we danced around it. You had the base models, you added back in the machine learning. So where, where does it stand today and what's the main program? Right. So, um, QDS started out uh, nine years ago um, to as a, a forex fund. Uh, we we did excellent for six months, and then we were hit by the U.S. Treasury debt downgrade, lost thirty five percent, and then we recover. Thank goodness we 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 recover over the years, and it now turn uh, become more prominent as a tail hedge fund. But in the last few years, we also started, so, so that's the proprietary strategy we offer uh, is the tail head strategy. We also have a um, short fall strategy called fixed timer, but that strategy uh, is um, trade even less frequently this year. You know, this year we have found that the volatility structure of the market is just completely different. 
you know, we, we, we have never seen a situation where the market go up and the fix also go up. You know, that doesn't happen too often. So, <laughs> um, and the, the, the level fix with this, you know, the, the variance um, with premium is, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know I, I, in my view, quite unprecedented, you know, for TV so low and the, the, the implied voice so high and it just never seemed to want to come down. So it's, uh, uh, that's why our fixed strategy actually are kind of not active this year. So even and though what, we offer- What's the word you're using there? Your fixed strategies? It's called fixed timer. So we trade a oh. fixed future and usually we, f we short the fix. So oh, that's why it's on over, but it's not trading much this year. Okay. Yes, the tail ripper strategy is the one that is a tail head strategy. It's a trend following tail head strategy, and it trades very actively this year, and it made very uh, uh Yeah, we can't talk about performance, but right. we'll put links to it in the in the show notes. But for sure. So um, now, but that is the that is our CTA offering. Yeah. Okay, so so that's our proprietary strategy. But in our fund, we are, we are now a fund of funds. So we in in addition to trading our own strategy, we invest in other managers and other funds as well. So we become a so that it become a truly an absolute return uh, vehicle, and that okay. that that's what we uh, we run as well. But so tell me more about the CTA strategy. So the Tail Reaper is trend following, but you're going. You're taking directional trades in e-mini S&P, right? Yes, it's an intraday trend-following strategy. Uh, and it's very simple. The basic, you know, like I said, I like simple strategy, right? So if the market goes up a lot that day, we buy. And market went down a lot, we, we shop. That's yeah. as, as simple as that. <laughs> and we always liquidate by the end of the day. But most people, well, that's even right there is somewhat controversial, right? Because a lot of people say when the market's up big, I'm a contrarian. I'm going to sell into it. Right, right. So, so um, the base of it is that it's a momentum strategy that's going to... It's momentum strategy, yes. And of course, you know, obviously we don't get a 100% success rate, right? You know, yeah. so yeah, the, the, the guys who trade the contrarian are, are often, often right. And in particular regime, they are more often right than, than I am, right? So example, October, September of this year, you know, they are definitely more right than I am because the market always means revert. Yeah. Um, for one reason or another, and we lost, and they win. And you but know, you're saying you you're you found it's more profitable, or you think it's smarter to do. I've got my one strategy; it's going to be a momentum trade, and then I'm going to use my machine learning to basically know when to be on the sidelines. Or exactly. Versus so we, knowing when to switch from a momentum trade to a mean reversion trade. We don't switch. Uh, you know, we might launch a new strategy in the future that does uh, the the reversal side. Um, but uh, at the present time, the machine learning is going to veto the momentum strategy and tell them that today is likely to be mean reverting. So don't trade. We, yeah. we don't advise you to trade opposite. Um, that will be a separate strategy. <laughs> Excuse right. me. So, um, so even though in this kind of situation, the contrarian oftentimes win more often than us. No question. But on those days that they lose, they're going to lose huge and we're going to win big. And yeah. that's the premise of momentum strategy. We are, we have positive skewness. Uh, the probability distribution is not normal. It's skewed to the, to the positive for our momentum strategy. We, 
That's why I told my client, we make money once every two years. On those years, we'll make more money that will make up for all the losses in the two years that we keep making wrong bets. Right. You take a lot of little small losing bets for in exchange for big, uh, lumpy outlier returns, like, that, like normal right. trend following, like long-term trend following. That, that is a, right. And what's it looking at, minute by minute or hour by hour? No, we, we, we look at uh, tick by tick on an intraday basis, actually. Okay. Take but it's day. coming into the day, the machine learning saying today is a day where momentum trades should work. So we're, that's and right. You basically gives you position sizing based on the, yes, on the probabilities. And how does that work? It's, it's all automated. So it's just, it's all it. automated. That's yeah. right. That's right. And do you see it? Do you sometimes say, oh, no, not today? Well, um, that's what I, uh, you know. There are certainly occasions where I think that it shouldn't trade, but it's trade and we lost. So, you know, you can't be 100% accurate. But yeah, I, 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 I was saying that uh, one amazing day that it asked us not to trade and it was that right. And that was the day when Pfizer announced the vaccine. Oh, good. <laughs> that was the day where if we were in the market, we definitely get stopped out. Because, you know, if you recall, the market was up, what, what 5% before the market opened. Yeah. Uh, and then it was just like, you know, relentlessly down <laughs> for the rest of the day. Uh, and if you look at, uh, you know, everybody saying that the, the, the momentum factor for, you know, for stock investor, there's this momentum factor. That momentum factor had the crash that is like six sigma. You have never oh, yeah, crashed so huge. much yeah. for that day. So amazingly, the machine learning program told us days ahead of time and say, stop trading. So how do, how do you protect against something like the machine basically saying momentum doesn't work on Wednesdays? Don't take trades on Wednesdays, right? And that's not really based in anything, and that might just be noise and talk. Yes, we well, we have um, we actually have seasonality factors in it. So yes, indeed, we have say, oh, is this um, uh, is this the last trading day of the month? Is this Friday? Is this the triple reaching day? Uh, right. Whatever. So it's, triple, right. Which whatever. there's good examples, but say yeah, like days that end in three or something, like something that's kind of nonsensical. <laughs> well, not, right? Nothing so uh, bizarre as like uh, you know the, the astrological sign. No, nothing yeah, as bizarre yeah. as that. But but certainly reasonable people would think that triple vision they may be different from other days. So, right. Yeah, we have all that, and I can believe that all this will nudge the probability a little bit. No question, it will nudge it a little bit. But the beauty of machine learning is that not one variable dominates they all notch it to a smaller or bigger extent but and it'll my question is more will it allow anything in there will it allow like hey bulk shipping rates are down or something right like will it allow any factor in there or you you have to tell it which factors are going in no no it, oh yeah i mean it's a supervised learning so yes you yeah. you well you know, that that's the human part and i always say that machine learning the most difficult part is the feature engineering part. Is the is before you learn, you have to provide with the data and to create the proper data set to engineer the proper data set. There's a humongous amount of human effort going into it. You yeah. cannot avoid it. And, and, a, and that's humongous where, amount of bias too, for bias, better or for worse, right? Yes. Well, there are known bias uh, that you want to avoid. You know, look ahead bias. Certainly, you don't you don't want that. Um, and um, uh, but, you know, let's suppose that you are properly engineering that, but there's still um, a lot of work to collect all this data and, and create the proper features out of them. And, and that's, that's 
that's good because that's still you know if 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 everything is so automated, there will be no differentiation. Every, you know, every every trader will be equally successful or equally unsuccessful. But even with machine learning, you can still uh, gain an edge if you are more experienced trader in terms of the features that you pick, right? So, you know, you you pick some hire some guy or or girl from Google uh, machine learning group, they are not going to suddenly outperform all your senior traders because they still have no clue what what to look at what to feed in during your machine learning model but that would tell me like just skip that step and go unsupervised and just feed it in every piece of data in the world and let it figure it out and what are there shops doing that in your opinion of just saying Um, skip skip that trader step skip that human need and just have have the machine figure out which factors are important for itself. Well, yes, I mean that um, uh, for meta labeling, that is a uh, uh, possible possible approach for meta labeling. Uh, that is to say, if you already have a strategy and you only want those universe of factors to predict whether your strategy is is, is profitable, that is a acceptable approach. The more data, the merrier. But if you want to directly use those factors to predict the uh, the outcome of the market, not the outcome of the strategy, but the outcome of the market, that runs a big risk of uh, data snooping, uh, overfitting. Right. If I just if I've got fifty million dollars to burn and I build a whole data team and just say, hey, take in all the data you can, and I want to make money tomorrow. Yes. You think it's well, going to come up with something? That do that. Um, there are like, uh, for example, um, WorldQuant. Okay, Worldcon is a um, offshoot from uh, Millennium Partners. Yeah. Uh, and um, they take that approach of uh, generating millions of offers. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I have come across numerous college students that had, uh, you know, run a mandate to, to generate signals for them. They, they hire just, just thousands, tens of thousands of consultants across the world. Every college student can apply to be a consultant for Worldcon, and they will generate right. some. Thing. Well, and there were a few of those platforms a few years ago, right? Of like where you could submit your uh, your quant strategy, Quantopian, and a few of those places, right? Um, yes. Where they but, were kind of building libraries of strategies and then one step machine learning on top of them. Right. But, you know, platforms like Quantopian, they don't necessarily encourage you to use machine learning to generate training signals. Yeah. But whereas WorldQuant definitely does. And the reason is they give you the data. They don't even tell you what instrument it is. They just give you a time series. Okay, predict. Well, if that's the case, you, there's no way you can use any trading knowledge or fundamental yeah. understanding. You don't even know what market you're dealing with. <laughs> so, right. Might not even be a market. Might be football scores. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, maybe it's weather. You know, who knows? Traffic, right. whatever. Uh, and um, so they, they took that approach. It's just ex- exactly as you said. I, I don't know how successful it is because I have heard that they are not... Um, uh, you know, in in a great place this year, rumors had it. I you know, I'm yeah. not privy to their performance. Um, and there's another firm called Numeray, who yeah. also take a similar approach. And again, I have I'm not privy to the performance. I have no idea how well they do. Well, it seems that's my work, right? That's the old uh, milk prices in Japan affect like Tesla stock over here. Like you can, you're gonna get some spurious correlations, yes. right? Yeah, and of course they will tell you, and of course they will tell you, oh no, we have this and that statistical procedure to, to prevent that. You know, out of sample testing, cross validation, and that that's all true. But 
but there's inevitably there is still some way that uh, overfitting uh, come in. So um, you know it's it's not uh, you know you, even with all these techniques to prevent overfitting to 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 reject spurious correlation, there are inevitably some some subtle way that that uh, you know because simply because of sheer amount of data and the yeah. limited the sheer amount of features and the limited number of rows, the number the small number of data points that you can use this amount of data to predict that inevitably create a situation where it is easy to overfit. And what what are you switching gears a little? Do you think that the whole right it's only becoming more and more prevalent machine learning usage, right? Like every strategy is gonna have some component probably in the not too distant future. Like, do you yes. think that makes the market more robust, more fragile? What do you think it does for the overall structure if everyone's using these methods or is it the same as just we're replacing human brains with machine brains? Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, it will actually create a more diverse ecosystem. So, you know, uh, because as I said, you know, in machine learning, it's, it's hard to find two machine learning systems that will make exactly the same prediction where it is fairly easy to do so for a simple transforming strategy, you know, buy high yeah. and sell low, everybody doing that. But for a machine learning system, um, you know, even if you go high, it may not buy, right? Maybe one day it might short. Uh, and right. um, so actually I find that uh, with machine learning system, this, the ecosystem is more diverse and less likely to uh, call everybody uh, like lemmings go, you know, running off the cliff together. So that's like uh, less. Right, although, although back in 2012, when was there was that big long short equity, like everyone lost on the same trades at the same time. Right. Wow. But that's Which not basically on, everyone was uh, using similar factors. So it right. That's based on the, traditional factors. Yes. Yeah. So if you're, you're all using the same random forest techniques and it seems like you would all come up with pretty similar strategies in the end, if you ran all the computers all the time, you're saying no, um, because there's that well, intervention. You know, I, I think that um, is 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 actually not not so likely because um, uh, we have done a lot of experiments where you have the exact same input to a machine learning system as long as you have a different random seed used in training, it's going to pick different features every time. There's yeah. so much randomness in a machine learning system that. Um, uh, you know, you can, you can plot, you know, every random seed, you will generate a particular uh, performance sharp ratio. So in, in a traditional quant strategy, you only get one back test, right? You, you, you say, yeah. oh, buy low, sell high, and, you know, that's it. You know, you, 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 your 20-year performance is sharp ratio of 1.2. Right. Looks great. Yeah. Well, what if the, the history is different? Well, you say, well, I don't know if the history is different. Maybe I get 1.7 or maybe I get negative 1.2. How would I know what the different history right. will give us? Because I can only see one history. Right. You Where can the simulate, classic the simulate, people would Monte Carlo it and add all the losers together and see what happens. But yeah. Yes, but the problem with Monte Carlo is you can never generate a realistic Monte Carlo, right? right. Because uh, uh, a lot of these events are so rare, uh, you know, like uh, long-term capital management or Russian default. How many times can you generate Russian default? It's very difficult. So, um, but machine learning, on the other hand, is different. You use exactly the same history. You know, it's the real history, not a simulated history. So you get all the little uh, tail, tail, tail events. But 
we even with the same history and with the same input, same features, as long as you use a different seed to create a random forest, you get a diff, different sharp ratio. So you get a broad distribution of sharp ratio. You know, every time you forward dice, you get a different uh, sharp ratio. So actually that's show you the diversity. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, even for the same system, it's clear that you run it every day. You know, two people having the exact same system may not have the same trait. Because of the random forest, because it's because introducing of random, random components. Yes, exactly. Oh. And uh, so that that's actually, I feel it's uh, make the system uh, less fragile because it's, uh, you know, and of course, uh, as a trader, you might run 10 different random forests with the same model so that you get a, uh, you know, you, 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 you hopefully the law of large number will get you to closer to the mean sharp ratio that you expect. And that is a good thing. But, um, but essentially, you know, you, you, you cannot expect two traders to generate exactly the same trade, even with the same system, if you use machine learning. Got it. I love it. Now, well, next time we'll talk about how the random generation isn't necessarily random, right? Yes. Inside the computers, but we'll save that for another time. That's right. Um, this has been fun. What have I missed? Um, we'll we'll put links to all your books real quickly, but tell us about your books. When was the last one? They've been. Um, the last one was called Machine Trading. And um, I think it was published maybe three years ago. Yes, yeah, so okay. I think it's around three years ago. That Any new ones in the works? Well, I am publishing um, the second edition of my first book with a com complete update. Oh, great. Uh, okay. And because the first book is really targeting to new trade pe people who are new to trading or new to quantitative trading, at least. Uh, we don't want heavy mathematics to obscure the, the point. Uh, there's yeah. no obscure, uh, big, big, big uh, formula or anything, but it does have some up-to-date techniques and, in, you know, and a technique, for example, to determine how long a backtest. When I first write that book, I say, oh, you know, hand waving. If you want to, if you have a parameter with five parameters, you you need the back test of whatever three years. Now we have actually some people, you know, again, Dr. Lopez Brado and co collaborators have have an exact formula to, to determine how long a back test you need, given a particular sharp ratio. So that kind of uh, updated insights are now uh, in the new book that are uh, that probably going to publish Q2. Q2. All right. We'll look forward to it. We'll put it out there. We end all our pods with some of your favorites. We'll go rapid fire here. Favorite um, investing book. Not your own. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I, I always uh, like uh, Yuan Sinclair's uh, options books. So that's certainly uh, uh, one of my favorites. I, of course, I like the uh, advances in financial machine learning by Dr. Lovexi Prado. You know, that we get a lot of machine learning ideas from that, from that book. Um, we um, also like a book um, that is not so much about trading, but about finance. It's called um, um, Statistics and Data Analysis for financial engineering is a book by finance professors, but it has, you know, really all the rigorous time series technique, mathematical techniques, regression techniques, risk management techniques that any quant trader must know is really a must have. 
Okay. Oh, and that's like one article. Sorry. <laughs> so it sounds like a page turner. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, it's a textbook. It's thick and it is, it's daunting. And but you 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 need to get through it. You know, there's no other way around. It. Right. And that actually, there's a one book that is less heavy reading, and that's called Asset Management. Uh, and it's by um, Professor um, Andrew Eng. He used to be a professor at Columbia, yeah. a finance professor, but he now heads up a, a quant investment at the BlackRock. Not a bad, not so, a bad game. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that book is great for people who doesn't like math. It's for MBA, CFA, but they don't want to have heavy duty math. That's the book for it. Perfect. Favorite non-finance book? Oh, um, well, uh, there, there are many, but uh, Les Miserables is one of them. I, read, uh, I, I don't read French. I only read the English version. So I, okay. I enjoy it. Did you it. read it before you saw the play? Or did you no, read it I, I read it only after I saw the play. <laughs> right. I, I've never had the, uh, that's, that's an endeavor. I've never thought to actually read it. Um, yeah, it's it's less uh, tedious than uh, you would, uh, one have would have feared. It's it's actually quite engaging. I I, I was able to finish it in good time. <laughs> All right, I'll check that one out. Uh, favorite Tim Hortons order? Oh, <laughs> well, that's usually the breakfast sandwich. Although recently, there uh, some of the employees are so rude to me that I I stopped going there and said go to McDonald's instead. <laughs> that's the uh, Canadian. Um... That's your spot, right? Uh, fit, and we'll finish favorite Star Wars character. Oh, um, well, I I'm actually uh, not a big Star Wars fan, to be okay. to be honest. Yes. Look, so, I've got R two D two right behind me here. You could yes. Pick him. Well, R two D two is yeah. I would say that one of my favorite. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 much more of a uh, you know uh, um, um, you know Lord of the Ring and uh, you know the, the Harry Potter kind of fan. Oh, okay. I'll take your favorite Harry Potter character then. Oh, favorite Harry Potter character. Okay. Well, um, Hermione is my Hermione. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter have a lot of resemblance to her, so that's why my is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right, Ernie, this has been fun. Thanks so much, and we'll uh, talk to you soon, and best of luck with everything. All right, thank you. Thanks, Ernie. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt and visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at RCMAlt.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you.